Hey, I am so glad that you're joining me in the honest conversations about all things family. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor and a mom. Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. This is going to be a place for us to be real about the mess of parenting. Um, It's a place for you to feel validated and to find some self-compassion and some hope for the road ahead. Let's stand in the mud together because personally I think that is the absolute best place to start. We are having our first conversation about self-care and so today is going to be that platform conversation trying to figure out what true self-care is um, so that the other conversations that we have in the next few episodes of this series are going to make more sense. Um, So I'll come back and allude to this conversation over and over again because I think it's really important that we stay focused on what true self-care is and not the commercialized version. So so Liz Chan is our guest today. She is going to unearth some of the principles of self-care for us and talk us through what it looks like in the day-to-day. And her work is varied. So she has a private practice um, focused on issues of acute and developmental trauma and substance addiction uh, body image pieces, healthy sense of self. And in all of that work, what I've come to understand is you can't do that work without diving into some pretty deep conversations about what it means to feel worthy and take care of yourself. So I'm asking Liz to help us understand that today because of that piece. But I also know that she relates to that idea of self-care through a passion of hers, which is climbing. Um, So we'll hear a little bit about her perspective on that too today. So welcome to the conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Stoked to be here. Okay. I need a definition from you, if you can, about Mm -hmm. trying to define or help us understand the difference between true self-care I don't know what else to say about that, but just like that that concept of like the real stuff as opposed to the fluffy, commercialized, shallow version that we've been sold as self-care. Can you help us mm. tease that apart? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So I think true, true self-care, like all forms of care, begins with relationship. Um, and I think it's difficult to care deeply intentionally and meaningful for meaningfully for ourselves when we lack a foundational sense of knowing about ourselves. Um, and I think that fostering an unflinching understanding of and compassion towards our own needs, wants, fears, vulnerabilities, strengths, and values, I think this all contributes to a basis for establishing practices of self-care. And truly, I think as we unfold in our relationship with ourselves, we can take on the big, difficult questions um, about what self-care actually means. And You know, I think commercialized self-care, on the other hand, can feel a little bit prescriptive. And at times I've found that it can even evoke shame or stir up feelings of insecurities and questions about our worthiness, which really is the opposite of what it's meant to do. I mean, like, I remember going to a yoga class for the first time several years ago and slipping into the back of the room before rolling up my mat and getting set up. And as the instructor began to lead us in a warm-up, I just realized that I was having such a hard time taking a deep breath. And, and I just felt so disappointed and frustrated with myself. 
because as a clinician, I'm constantly engaging my clients in, in grounding and relaxation exercises that involve good, full-bodied breathing. And I think I was particularly that anxious that day when I joined the class. But, you know, trying to transition from getting there to really being there felt like it was just near impossible. And I since asked myself, like, how much time could I have spent in the actual living of that moment if I had let go of striving for more? Um, and how much more peaceful would that moment right then have become for me if I, you know, just decided that enough was enough for, for then? And, and I've learned over time that self-care is one of the most humbling activities in the world with, with really zero room for ego. And I think in order to continue to benefit from self-care, my perspective on it will need to keep evolving. Um, so these days I focus on approaching self-care as, as as if I'm embarking on a new chapter of my relationship with myself, with less rigidity and intensity and, and with more curiosity. And, and there are always things I can explore when it comes to caring well for myself. And I'm discovering that it's crucial to be drawn to the actual thing that I'm doing for myself. So now I just want to try it um, and see if I feel, uh, you know, engaged while I'm doing it and if there's a connection to what I'm doing for myself. And I believe that... The more honest I am, the more like that I'm really, really honest with myself about that and with the people I'm doing the activity with, with my knowledge or that lack thereof regarding whether this is something that corresponds to what I need or value, the more I actually can benefit from self-care and the more I'll care for myself, you know, gracefully and graciously. And if I can't really find something for myself from the beginning or engage in something self-care related in a way that I wanted to, then you know, I want to practice getting curious and wondering what does it mean for me? It seems like the commercialized version of that is hyper focused on performance. Mm -hmm. Like there's a there's a concrete result we should see. If we buy the right face cream, the wrinkle will mm. go away. If we right, and then when you spoke about shame, that hit it for me of making me think about yeah, all those commercialized pieces mean that if you don't get that result, it means you failed somehow mm. like the experience mm -hmm. failed it there's a failure piece yeah but true self-care is not the evaluative piece it's mm. the deepening of the understanding of yourself through the experience mm. so it's a presence it sounds like yeah that's such a great point and, and so beautifully put I think yeah exactly do you how how do you think we've been shaped or influenced by the commercial version so we've we've heard these We've seen images about it. We get inundated about it. Um, we're sold it every day. But I, I don't even think I recognize half the things that fly past my eyeballs that are geared toward selling me self-care. Mm. Unless I really stop to think about, yeah, that's what they're doing there. Um, huh. But yeah. like if it's so insidious and so deep rooted in like we don't even recognize it half the time, how do you think it has shaped us or influenced us and can we reclaim it mm. yeah I think like you said the commercialized version is 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 such an interesting phenomenon um and I think it's meant to make self-care more accessible to us and and yet it can take us away from ourselves I think and it can become a yardstick like you said by which we measure growth and and the older I get I think the less confident that I am that I understand why certain things are good for us in certain seasons and why other things are not um but I think the commercial version of self can represent like a kind of pressure that in the end pushes us to a place of lostness or 
a feeling of emptiness or an inner void that we in fact often attempt to avoid um, and which brought us to that desire to pursue self-care in the first place. And I think we can try to fill this void with makeshift self-care solutions and other distractions presented to us by a growing industry of commercialized goods and services, ultimately because we can't tolerate the ambiguity that surrounds more personalized self-care. Um, but I think in so doing, we refuse the exploration of what self-care actually means. And the exploration, after all, looks into you know, the vastness of all that there's to learn, discover about ourselves on our journey to know what feels you know, good and what is experienced as, as care in our own lives, um, in, our own, in, in our own spirits and in our own bodies. And I think to explore our knowing of ourselves in this way is to enter those uncomfortable spaces and we have to grapple with the embarrassment or frustration or hurt or urges to avoid or thoughts we prefer not to acknowledge in order to see ourselves steadily and see ourselves wholly as deserving of being known and from that place cared for. And I think I'm not saying that the, the options available to us through the wellness industry are, are bad things necessarily or that they're unproductive or ineffective. I think what I mean to say is that how we engage those things and how we determine whether they correspond to us and to our needs and preferences and values is an important part of integrating self-care into our lives. Um, and, and I think like you mentioned earlier, I think, for example, for me, I found that over the years that climbing especially has been a staple in my self-care practice. Um, it's an oasis. It's, it's my safe place. It's my way to deal with life. And the reason, I think, is that there are several processes that are, that are embedded in climbing that help you to engage important points of struggle and release. Um, and as someone who has a difficult time with failure and has for many, many years subconsciously viewed pain as a challenge to overcome, it's, it's taught me a lot. Um, yeah, so, so in climbing, we talk about finding what are called you know, weaknesses in the rock. So weakness is a, is a nick or a nub or a crack or some other feature about the rock which you can pinch or jam or, or smear a finger or toe onto. And weaknesses are what make rock walls climbable. <laughs> um, and maybe it would be easy to say that, you know, a lower grade climb, you know, are along rock faces that have more weaknesses, but that's not necessarily the truth or it doesn't capture the truth at least. Because some of the most phenomenal rocks, rock structures known to the climbing world, like Yosemite's El Cap or... Um, Patagonia's uh, Sarah Fitzroy seem to bear kind of these relentlessly smooth faces um, with weaknesses that are impossibly few and far in between. But, but these kind of these formidable slabs of, of granite actually aren't infallible. And when it comes to kind of see some of these big, you know, incredible rock walls, you know, the, the, the process of trying to climb them turns into this full-blown relationship. And weaknesses are kind of coaxed out over the course of many, many grueling, repetitive, up-close encounters with various sections of the wall. And it requires time to find the weaknesses. Um, but on top of that, it requires intimacy to understand the significance of those weaknesses. So for perspective, some of the best climbers in the world climbed, climbed one of the hardest rock walls in 2015, um, they named Tommy Caldwell and, Kev and Kevin Jurgison, and they dedicated seven years to, pre to preparation, and it took wow. them 19 days to complete the climb itself, and they finally kind of did that. Unbelievable. That push. Yeah. 
And yeah, seven years. It's, it's kind of nuts because that means that they took seven years to intimately familiarize themselves with yeah. every inch of this kind of this 3,000 foot rock wall and its viable weaknesses. And then, and then 19 days to, to work out this relationship to the wall when they finally climbed it in a single push involving you know, 31 pitches. And I think this draws me to climbing because I have long supposed that I actually prefer to live with as few weaknesses as possible. And this is part of why I've historically not been particularly adept at self-care. Um, I mean, it's not really a particularly endearing quality of mine. Um, but I'm constantly picking at and picking apart aspects of my personality where I think I may have found a weakness. And mm. for me, it's, it's, it's almost like mindlessly chewing my nails. And I think I would rather work out and find a way to fix something that I perceive to be a weakness rather than relate to my weaknesses through kind, compassionate, mm -hmm. intentional self-care. And I think deep down I'm afraid that if I don't shave them smooth, my weaknesses will always be points at which people can gain leverage or um, where projections can stick to me or where complexes can latch on and take over. And so for me, rock climbing is teaching me that actually imperfections in the context of relationship can lend themselves to fostering kind of a kind of knowing that is rooted in appreciation and awe for what those weaknesses truly mean, which is intimacy, intimacy with yourself and intimacy with other people. And I think climbing for me brings together all the crucial things about self-care. It, it opens me up to this beautiful, incredible capacity we have for attachment. And it shows me that maybe because of or with respect to my weaknesses, I need to find the highest quality ways of attaching and relating to myself, as well as the highest quality people to attach to and trust for help and, and support. It makes me think of the difference between accepting ourselves and allowing true attachment to mm -hmm. who we are or with mm -hmm. who we are, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to changing the conditions so that we don't need to be unconditionally loved. We change the conditions mm. to feel like we fit. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think about all those um, commercialized pieces that sell the ladder of mm. just change the conditions, then you're worthy, then you're lovable, then you're right, then you'll feel comfortable. It's selling mm. comfort, right? I hear this, mm -hmm. if we can stop chasing that, mm -hmm. um, then it isn't about the method so much as the match. Like, is mm -hmm. it fitting who we are, what we need to know about ourselves, mm -hmm. which then lets us connect differently with other people? Yeah, I love that. It's that it's what you said about it being not about the method, but the match. I think that's, yeah, that's really spot what on. What a process. And it's slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It takes. Mm -hmm. It takes time takes and time. it takes engagement. Yeah, for sure. And courage, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it's easier to purchase something and yeah. cross our fingers and put faith <laughs> in the product to get yeah. us where we feel comfortable. Absolutely. So different saying I'm going toward the discomfort mm -hmm. and learning to love myself in it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's this process of putting faith in ourselves and that, yeah, there's something there. That, it, that that deserves this, this sense of knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I want to know more about how this relates to boundaries. Can you mm -hmm. talk about the relationship between self-care and healthy boundaries? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a big 
topic and it, it feels so crucial in so many ways. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll start by saying that, that, that boundaries really, um, boundaries really need to be anchored to a clear and accurate assessment of our needs and our capacities. And I think that conducting this assessment with eyes wide open is one of the hardest things we can do. And accepting this assessment as it is can be very difficult. And so in short, I think setting boundaries as a form of self-care starts with turning towards our needs and our capacities with the intention to learn from them and ultimately to honor them. And I think we're anxious about the reality surrounding our needs and our capacities. We either fail to begin the process of asking ourselves good questions about these things or, or we'll force a false assessment, telling ourselves things like, we don't really need that or I'll just push through this or you know everybody else is just getting on with it. And I think this is common. You know, I think a lot of us go to war with our realities. We have the illusion that we can function in our lives differently, live differently than they are and, and differently than, than we are. And we often expect ourselves to do more and need less. Um, or, or conversely, I think we can suspect that we are less capable than we actually are and fail to see ways in which our capacities can map onto our needs. Um, and I think, again, a frank but, but gentle inquiry into our circumstances can help us move towards a brand of acceptance that isn't grim compromise or, or gritted teeth tolerance. And rather this acceptance reveals our limitations and offers the virtue of humility and the gift of open, empty space left for our joy in exchange for thoughts that we need to earn this. Um, you know, I think, I think boundaries help us to remember that we're human and of the fragile loveliness of, of being so. They have the power to comfort and uplift and empower and inspire. And I think they encourage us to be agentic in our decisions regarding how to navigate our lives and how we choose to be present in them. And this, like you say, is, is a crucial form of self-care. And I, and I do want to say that for those of us who are self-conscious about setting boundaries because we learn that saying no is rude or insubordinate or mean or lazy or withholding or dangerous, I think we can relearn to set boundaries for ourselves and with others with warmth and courage. And we have the right to this, but but also an obligation to ourselves to be grateful for and open to opportunities to accept support and help where we can. So in other words, boundaries don't need to be absolute. In fact, if they are, we can end up feeling really isolated and trapped in our scramble for self-preservation. So that being said, boundaries can incorporate can can incorporate, you know, fences or or gates, if you will, that discreetly allow things in while keeping other things out. Boundaries can help to delineate the when and the how of our interactions with others in the world. But I think this goes back to knowing ourselves well to discern between what helps and hinders us when it comes to taking things on and, and allowing people to enter into spaces of feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, tired, or in pain. And I think one final thing that comes to mind when I think of this is that I want to mention that it's also okay to set a boundary and come back to it saying, okay, I was, I was wrong, that didn't quite work for me. Um, I think we're all in the process of learning and becoming more self-aware and aligned. And I think it's normal and actually very healthy to revisit or shift or move or alter our boundaries as we discover new things about ourselves and our relationships. It, that sounds like that invites the opportunity to feel compassion from others as well. So there's a self-compassion mm. piece of recognizing I've 
learned in the process of trial and error that this mm-hmm. actually wasn't the right fit. I chose mm-hmm. what I could at the time, knowing what I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I set that boundary. I tried it out. I've discovered that wasn't quite it. Mm-hmm. To go back to somebody and say, I'd like this to shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I got it wrong that time. Um, invites the opportunity for somebody else to recognize our process. Yeah. And to have space and grace for shifting yeah, in relationship absolutely. to them, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, sometimes we can we come to this place of, of believing that boundaries are antithetical to dialogue. And I, and I don't think that's true. I think dialogue really helps us to shape our boundaries in, in helpful ways and meaningful ways. Um, but I think that does require some trust, certainly, with yeah. ourselves and with other people. Yeah, that's pretty vulnerable. Process. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy for us to get kind of confused or lost in the misguided principles around what we've been taught around self-care. And I I know I slip in and out of this. Like I myself find myself having to sit down in my own mind, have this conversation about, no, what does, what does it actually mean to take care of myself today in this moment with this relationship? Uh, It feels like layers of analysis. Like it's not just like I get it and then I just live it. I'm constantly revisiting the idea and trying to apply it with different filters to different situations. And so I think it can be pretty easy at any given time to slip back into a misguided version. If you were to try and give kind of a, a core list of principles, like a cheat sheet or a poster. If this was the poster mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're going to put up on a wall saying, this is what you got to focus on, kind of the filter mm-hmm. for deciding, does this qualify for true self-care or not? What would mm-hmm. you add to that? What would you include in that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the first thought that comes to mind, like kind of this like header if you will, for this cheat sheet or poster yes. is that, yeah, I, I think that that we, it's important not to feel ashamed if we're not sure of what good self-care looks like for us. I think none of us are really ultimately sure and are all trying to figure it out. Yeah. And when it comes to self-care exercises or things, there really is no right one or wrong one. There are lots of ones. There's ones for different seasons, ones for different mm-hmm. types of activities and lifestyles right ones at wrong times and I think learning what it looks like to protect and provide what's needed for ourselves is this this is a process Mm -hmm. and some of us were never taught how to discern this or or tune to ourselves when it comes to offering ourselves what we need to be well Um, a a good book to check out about this is called Running on Empty by Jonas Webb okay Um, so I I think that's that's kind of a, a header or maybe a precursor that that feels important, and and secondly, I think when it comes to this, you know, this idea of having having these kind of checkpoints for ourselves, um, I actually read an article several years ago on self care that I thought was was clear and straightforward and helpful. So maybe rather than reading the, the wheel, I'll, I'll I'll pass that along and, and maybe yeah. can put that in awesome. the show notes, and that can be accessible. Sure, yeah, I'll put the title, the book as well that you mentioned, and mm. add that in for further reading. Yeah, yeah. great, very cool, awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. every week. Um, when we drop a new episode in this series, I'm going to be following up online with a social media post that's going to contain a challenge of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, 
for some weeks, <laughs> I might do a challenge of the day. Uh, mm. But can you inspire us with a challenge for this week that reflects some of the pieces you want people to experiment with or question or live with uh, around challenging their ideas of self-care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, as, as maybe coming clear, I'm, I, I'm a huge advocate and fan of the outdoors and so maybe i'll start with a story and 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 end with a challenge so yes uh, a story that comes to mind is is there's there was an interview uh for for a podcast called uh, roam from home and uh hillary nelson is a, a scheme a scheme mountaineering athlete for the north face and in this in this interview she talks about an expedition in 2017 to india's uh 22,000 foot apsara peak hmm. and she recalls summiting in 10 days from leaving Delhi and, and skiing down to, to their high camp afterwards, having finished early. So they stayed there for three days, soaking in the beauty of the mountain. And after 20 years, you know, that she'd spent obsessing about this mountain, they, they'd got there, they'd climbed it in a day, they skied down this 3,000 foot line that was the steepest, scariest thing she'd ever skied, and got back to their tent at about midnight, having spent 18 hours on this peak. And that night, a storm came in and it snowed the whole next day. And hmm. Hillary remembers getting out of the tent at the first clearing, realizing that every trace of them ever having been on that mountain was gone, just wiped away, just erased. Hmm. And she says that it spoke to her in this deep way as a metaphor for life. And she says, in the interview, we put so much of ourselves into these things and accomplish them. And at the end of the day, they're inside of us. They're not external. They're not outside of us. They're, they're not there for other people to see it. We, we do it for ourselves. And, yeah, I think that story comes to mind in so much as, as I think the challenge that I, that I have for this week is to try and do one thing for, for yourself that you don't tell anyone. Because it's, it's not for other people to see it. We do it for ourselves. And, and as you do this, notice what you would do for yourself when you know that no one else is going to hear about it or see you do it or give feedback on it. Um, I think this is a good place to start. Beautiful. We'll remove performative self-care. We'll remove evaluative self-care. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Challenges, not look back for the tracks. That's not what tells us we did it well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, love that. Do it for us and only us. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I've got some work to do. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Awesome. So good. Uh, and if I were to reintroduce you, I will add poet. Beautifully mm. worded. Thank you for sharing that. And both professionally and personally. It helps us, I think, place our own feet on a rock. And we're going to, I think, think differently about it going forward. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. This was such a neat opportunity to kind of really slow down and reflect on this. And something that's been so important, I think, in my life and has harder seasons and, and smoother ones. So I feel grateful for this opportunity and, yeah, and just get the chance to chat about it. So thank you. I'm so thankful for your ear. I feel honored to be standing in the trenches with you. 
In the age and culture of things like glossy Instagram posts, mom shaming, and harmful stereotypes, we need to really bravely shed our protective layers and just own our true experiences of parenting, war wounds and all. Really, how else are we going to get to realize that we are not the only ones experiencing the messiness of it all? As parents, we need to support one another. We need to share in the laughter, but also in the lamenting, and find ways to hold one another up. And that is my sincere goal for this podcast and for the broader mental health work that I do. Don't forget to take a look at today's show notes where you'll find related resources and my letter from the trenches. If you're wanting to know a bit more about my work, please subscribe to my living room learning page at my.thrive-life.ca forward slash LRL series. I'll be able to keep you posted on new tools and resources that I put out in the world, and it'll allow us to get to know one another a bit better. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook where I share links to my projects, offer up free tools to support you and your family, and I keep things real from a parenting perspective. Standing shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in the mud. Let's talk again next week.